Amazon made headlines at the height of the pandemic for developing its own COVID-19 testing system for its workers. It turns out the same test is now available to the public for about $40. You can order the test on Amazon.com, take it at home, and ship it to Amazon to get your results. So what is it like to take Amazon's COVID-19 test? We at GeekWire decided to find out. Is I put the swab in a collection tube, soft tip down. Oh, and there's this handy handle I break. On this episode, we go hands-on with Amazon's COVID-19 test, adding to our understanding of the tech giant's emerging health initiatives. We also hear from an expert in the field who has studied the effectiveness of these types of self-administered COVID-19 tests. So they should send a drone to your house to pick it up. <laughs> that would be perfect. The ultimate solution. That's all coming up on this episode of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2.5 million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at Primera.com slash Primera-Voices. That's P-R-E-M-E-R-A dot com slash Primera-Voices. Welcome to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. I'm your host, GeekWire co-founder, Todd Bishop. Joining me is Charlotte Schubert, a GeekWire reporter and science journalist who focuses on topics including biotech, healthcare, and life sciences. All right, Charlotte, so you got roped in on this whole GeekWire Adventures thing where we try out new things. <laughs> so you tried out the Amazon COVID-19 test. I did. I didn't think I had COVID, but I did it for the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So can you walk us through what it was like? Where did you get it? How much did it cost? Just give us the basics of what this process was like. Um, it was very Amazon easy. I uh, went to the Amazon website. I searched for COVID tests. It was clear which one was Amazon branded. It was the cheaper one. And it said Amazon on it. So I ordered it. And it came very quickly. I ordered it like early afternoon. It came by 11 the next day. Hmm. And so there it was. So you just went into Amazon. I'm doing it right now. You went into Amazon. You typed in Amazon COVID-19 test. That's Amazon branded. I did Amazon COVID test. It's this thing here. It's right next to an anti-vaxxer book called <laughs> COVID-19 and Vaccine Medical Error, The Weapon of Mass Destruction in the 21st Century. Oh <laughs> Really? Yeah. There is. Okay. So, okay, I see it. It comes up. And as you said, it's right next to a book by Charles L. Trump, COVID-19 <laughs> and Vaccine Medical Error, The Weapon of Mass Destruction in the 21st Century. That speaks to the fact that this is Amazon and it's the Wild West in many ways on their marketplace. How is it possible that that book is right next to their COVID-19 collection and kit? And it only has one star. <laughs> Very odd. Yes. But it's free with Kindle Unlimited. So this book is participating in the Kindle Unlimited program, which is probably the reason the algorithm is putting it there. Mm -hmm. And it's there for both of us, too. Right next to the Stay the f Home coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. So here, I see it. It's Amazon branded COVID-19 collection kit DTC FDA authorized on the, the cover. So you ordered this. It tells me that I can receive it by today at 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Wow. So there it is. All right. So here's the Amazon test. So you got it. 
and you eventually opened it up. What was the process like? So it was kind of cool. I opened it up and it, everything looked super tidy and really easy to understand. The graphics were clear and someone put some thought into the design because there's a place to put the collection tube in like a green little slot so it doesn't tip over. So a lot of nice details and thought went into it and it was otherwise a pretty simple test. So I've been through the drive-through testing for COVID here in Seattle, and we're going to be talking with a researcher later on who's going to explain the pluses and minuses of the different depths of the swab in terms of how far you need to go to, to get a sample. How far did you have to go with this test in your nose to, to get a sample? So it says, don't go further than three quarters of an inch and 15 seconds for each nostril. Okay, so that's not as far back as the ones that are that feel like you're about ready to cry and actually you do start your eyes start watering and it, it's not that far back. It's much shallower it sounds like. I think I did it correctly and it it was fine. So I understand you got some help in making sure that you did the COVID test properly from some of the kids in your neighborhood. Yeah, I needed a witness to make sure I did it correctly and it just happened there were a few kids around. Um they may have been related to me, but they did not want to be acknowledged in the podcast. <laughs> Tell me if I'm doing it right. Okay, here comes the other one. It says rub the swab in a slow, circular motion. How's it look? Uh, kind of creepy. <laughs> well, it was very gracious of them to, to help you out and to monitor your at-home COVID test. Yes, they were very useful. All right, so you took the test, you put it in a tube... Yeah, so it comes with a, a collection tube that has a little liquid in it. Um, I'm not sure what's in the liquid, but I'm sure it's good stuff for the sample. And so you just take your swab and you stick it in the tube, and it's pre-scored, so you go click, and it drops right in, you stick the lid on. So then is it postage paid to return it? How do you get it back? Um, so the return, you just wrap it up in the box, uh, find some tape, put some tape on, and um, they tell you to bring it to a UPS uh, drop-off location. The closest place is the UPS store. So I just walked over there and I was like, okay, is there an exterior place to drop this? There was not. I had to go inside. So it's labeled COVID test. And I kind of felt nervous. Because the person behind the counter is thinking, is this, is this a person walking in with COVID-19? Exactly. I, I, I did put a mask on, and, but I told her, I don't have COVID. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this for work. <laughs> she looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, just give me the box and get out of here. <laughs> All right. So you dropped it off at the UPS store. Then what happened? So I dropped it off at 4.15 p.m. on Tuesday. And I got a notification by email and text at 7.03 a.m. on Wednesday that the vial had been delivered to the lab, which was in Kentucky. They have a centralized lab there where they process all this. And at 1.25 p.m. that same day, I got my result back. Wow. So did they call you? Did they? How did they let you know what your results were? I got an email and a text. And in that email and text, did it point you to a secure portal or was it just the results? Oh, no, they pointed me to their portal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd already set that up. I think I signed in with my Amazon um, username and password. So I didn't have to have a whole new system set up. It was already set up through my Amazon account. And I just signed in and I got my result. Now, I know you were, as you said, taking this test for purposes of writing a story about the experience and you didn't have COVID symptoms, but I'm just curious, since we know you didn't have COVID, what were the results? They were negative. Good for you. Yeah, there's <laughs> enough COVID going around, so I was, I was still slightly relieved. Well, we know just from our reporting, even on this season of the Health Tech Podcast, that 
Amazon has a large number of healthcare initiatives that it's undertaking, everything from primary care for its employees and potentially others to its Amazon Halo health device that we've tested earlier in the season. So it seems like this is just one piece of a much larger puzzle of Amazon moving into healthcare. It seems Amazon is well built for this, maybe. You know, it generated the infrastructure for its own employees to be tested. And so this test takes advantage of that. It's using the same testing facility. So they're fast and they have a lot of logistics down. So you can imagine that they would have the capability to move into other types of testing using similar logistics. So I know, obviously, your experience is a limited sample size. You're a sample of, of one. But I am curious, just for your overall impressions, if you were to use this as the, the one example that, that you've experienced so far firsthand of, of Amazon healthcare, effectively, would this be a company that you would go to again based on this experience for some kind of healthcare? Well, I would use their COVID-19 test. I didn't really have too many questions in my mind. They've used it on their employees. I'm sure it's been through the ringer. I don't know about other initiatives they may have. I did notice, though, when I went online to get the test, that there were a number of tests for sale, and they didn't have a good way of telling the consumer what the difference was between the tests. Um, They seem to be relying in large part on their star system and on consumer reviews. And I'm not sure that's the best way to assess different tests and their value. So maybe they should put a little more of a pharmacist in their pharmacy. (laughs) Right. This could be something that you would imagine would be more effectively offered through the Amazon pharmacy. There's a separate Amazon pharmacy interface where you sign in and you have actually a separate login that's sort of a branch of your overall Amazon account. This does feel like it might be better placed in an environment that's separate from Amazon's e-commerce portal. But, you know, their logistics seem great and um, the price can't be beat. There's nothing I saw equivalent for 40 bucks. Most tests were a little over 100 And I don't know how fast they are, but it's pretty clear Amazon's doing about as fast as you can for this type of test. Well, thanks, Charlotte. Really appreciate you sharing your experience. But how accurate are these types of at-home COVID tests and self-administered tests? Can the results really be trusted? Coming up after the break, we'll be talking with an expert who has studied that very question. You're listening to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. This season of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast is presented by Primera Blue Cross. It goes back to the people aspect of this, and specifically in healthcare, think about scenarios when you don't feel well. Dr. Adrian Mayers is Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Primera Blue Cross. You need to go see your doctor. You need to get a a prescription filled. Those are times in people's lives where they need all the support. Dr. Mayers was just named one of the top 100 chief information security officers in the country by the industry trade group CISOs Connect. So what I think about when I get up you know, every morning is, hey, you know what, I have to make sure that their information is protected and that they have access to the services that we provide. It needs to be seamless. Making healthcare work better, right? That's our core thing. That's our purpose. That means that when they go on their application on their phone, Apple, Android, whatever it is, when they go on the website, it's all there, it's all available. We're anticipating and know what they need and they can seamlessly do what they need to get done to feel better, to get better. That's what drives me. To find out more, visit Primera.com slash Primera voices. 
Jerry Cangelosi is a University of Washington professor with a PhD in microbiology. His research focuses on pathogen detection in clinical and environmental samples and the epidemiology of infectious diseases. Translation, he's perfectly positioned to study the effectiveness of at-home COVID tests. In fact, he and his University of Washington colleague, Rachel Wood, led a study comparing self-administered COVID-19 tests to those administered by healthcare providers, supported by a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the National Institutes of Health. The New England Journal of Medicine recently published the results. Dr. Cangelosi, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. For folks who haven't read the New England Journal of Medicine article yet, can you give us the basics of what you found about the efficacy of self-administered tests versus those administered by healthcare practitioners? Okay, yeah. If you don't mind, maybe I'll, I'll uh, set some of the background here so you can understand the context in which, in which this was done. This study was actually done at the very outset of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. In fact, the study was conducted at uh, clinical sites in northern Seattle, and one of them was the uh, clinic where the very first U.S. COVID-19 patient was, was diagnosed. So this was that kind of hectic, crazy time that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. And at that time, as you might recall, um, there was a severe shortage, not only of testing capacities, but also of personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. And the biggest concern that, that we had back then is that uh, healthcare workers would get such intensive exposure to this virus that we would basically run out of healthcare workers. And um, as you can imagine, this was particularly a problematic thought for the healthcare workers themselves. So this study was not actually not initiated by me. It was initiated by a very dynamic uh, physician scientist at the Everett Clinic named Dr. Juan Po Tu. He supervises a large team of healthcare providers, and he was worried about protecting his staff from exposure to the virus. And he saw at least one of the solutions to this was to uh, really take a close look at how samples are collected for COVID-19 testing. And the standard at that time, and still the gold standard, is a nasopharyngeal swab. And I don't know if either of you guys have had a nasopharyngeal swab, but it's basically a roto-rooting that goes right back to the base of your brain, right? And so it's, it's difficult for the patient, but it's also difficult for the healthcare provider who has to stand right in front of the patient while they stick this thing up your nose and the patient coughs and sneezes and swears and um, <laughs> cries. <laughs> this results in a lot of exposure to the healthcare um, personnel. So uh, Poe thought, uh, well, what, what if we shouldn't we evaluate maybe different ways of collecting samples to see if they might work as well or, or almost as well? And so that was the uh, conception of this project. I was brought on board this project because we've been doing similar types of research on tuberculosis sampling. Tuberculosis is less of a problem in this country, but it's a big problem in other parts of the world. We have been studying ways to collect samples for TB diagnosis that are less hazardous to healthcare workers and also easier to apply on a community scale, which is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. 
So I was brought on to help because of my experience in doing those sorts of studies. And uh, basically what we evaluated were two types of what we call non-invasive samples. And a non-invasive sample means that it doesn't go way back into your head, okay? And so um, we looked at anterior nares swabs, which is just basically goes a little bit into your nose, and maybe you guys have had samples collected that way. I have. And the other thing that we looked at were oral swabs, just swabbing the surface of the tongue. Importantly, for protection of the healthcare workers, the oral swabs and, and the shallow nasal swabs were something that patients could do themselves. And so a lot of this was done in drive-through clinics. You might remember they were quite popular at that time. And so you could, so the providers could just hand a swab to the patient in the car and then step back. The patient collects a sample and hands it back to the provider, okay? And so that's a lot less exposure for the healthcare provider. And so not only were these things um, self-collected, and that's obviously a big part of it, and then down the line, a year later, it's, it's obviously very important to the new Amazon test that you wanted to talk about. But also, it's a less invasive sample. A person cannot collect their own nasopharyngeal swab. It's, it would just be a very, very difficult thing to do to yourself. And so um, that's what we evaluated. So I'm here with my colleague, Charlotte Schubert, and as you mentioned, she's been testing out the, the Amazon test. So Charlotte, you didn't have to touch the back of your brain? <laughs> no, it told me to stop at three quarters of an inch, no further. So There you go. Yeah. yeah. So that's an example of what you're testing. That's an example of what we tested. That's exactly what we tested. It's called anterior nares, so the, just the front of your nose. That's great to hear <laughs> that you didn't have to go back any farther than that. How did you go about testing it, and, and what did you find? Basically, uh, Poe and his team um, enrolled, I think, uh, 500 patients who were coming to these uh, clinics, this, this uh, Everett Clinic system. Typically, when we do a study like that in Africa for tuberculosis testing, it might take us many months to enroll that many patients and test them. Poe did this in three days. Mm. <laughs> Because this was a very hectic time. And and the limiting factor we had uh, was, was procuring enough swabs to do it all in that time. And so I was driving around collecting swabs from people and getting, dropping swabs off in clinics. But basically, um, he got it all done in three, maybe four days. And uh, so basically, they enrolled 500 consecutive patients. And um, from each patient, they collected the nasal pharyngeal swab. That's that's the invasive uh, procedure, and then the two non-invasive procedures: a shallow nasal swab, non-invasive, and an oral swab, non-invasive. So each patient provided three samples. They were all tested the same way. Of those 500 patients, at that time, about 50 of them, or 10 percent, turned out to have the disease, which is a pretty high positivity rate. But that was again a crazy time. And so, just we asked, what was the accuracy of the non-invasive? swabs relative to the uh, nasopharyngeal swab. And it worked pretty good. Uh, basically, uh, the shallow nasal swab um, detected 94% of the patients that you could do it with the gold standard nasopharyngeal. The oral swab was a little bit less at about 90%. I should add, actually, we also tested a fourth procedure called the mid-turbinate, which is kind of halfway. Charlotte, that would be about an inch and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, deeper than 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 what you, uh, what you did. Uh, the patients did not like that. They did not like self-collecting mid-turbinate swabs. It worked great, but um, we didn't take it any farther. 
So that's what we did. And, and so it turned out that the uh, nasal swabs, more than anything else, did the things we wanted to do. Um, they were easy for patients to collect on their own, but they worked almost as well as the invasive procedures. That margin of error that you found, how significant is that? And what does it mean for the viability of self-administered COVID tests? Right. It's very significant. So, you know, if you're going to miss uh, 6% of your patients, and, and in other evaluations, it's it's been more than that. In some cases, it's 80 or 85% sensitive relative to the, um, to the gold standard. That is significant from a medical standpoint. I'm a public health person, okay? And my, my mission is to try to um, find ways to identify as many COVID patients as possible. Because when you identify a COVID patient, you can say, you have COVID-19, please, please isolate for two weeks. And that's going to stop the transmission of the disease. There are people that simply could not be reached by nasopharyngeal swabbing. There just are not, that has to be done in a clinic. And there's just not enough clinical facilities, not enough uh, healthcare professionals to collect them all. So if the nasal pharyngeal swab is 100% sensitive and we're only able, and we're able to test, say, 50 people a day, but the nasal swab, the shallow nasal swab is 94% sensitive, but we're able to test 500 people a day, then we're going we're gonna to find more cases with self-administered um, non-invasive sampling. And of course, Amazon wants to take that to the next level, right? 5,000, <laughs> 5 million, whatever. Um, and again, you're going to need a non-invasive sample to do that. And so for me, that's great. It does mean that we will miss some people that have COVID-19. We'll miss them. But the bottom line is we will detect far more cases. And every time we detect a case, we prevent a case, right? Because we tell these people to isolate and um, that reduces transmission to the next person. Now, in your case, Charlotte, I know, as you've explained, it was very quick getting the results back, but you still had to send them in. And it was almost like a next day experience to get the results back. I'm curious how far we are from a situation that's a little bit more like a immediate results, something, I guess, more like an at-home pregnancy test where you get the two bars or the one bar or whatever it may be. Is that in the near-term future or is that on the roadmap for some of these tests? We're there already. There are ways to do it on site in your home, okay? There are ways to do that, but there are limitations. Antigen tests detect proteins that the virus has in its in its uh, shell. They're not very sensitive. Um, they're not as sensitive as the uh, PCR tests. However, they, they are really nice in a couple ways. Um, that can be conducted just like a pregnancy test. Okay, that fast, that easily, that cheaply. And if you're positive in an antigen test, chances are you got a lot of virus that you're shedding and you're very infectious. And so um, they are kind of useful in a way because I'm I'm a big advocate of democratizing testing. You know, everyone should be tested all the time in the ideal world. If we could test everybody every couple of days, then uh, we'd find everybody who's shedding the virus and we could we could stop it. Okay. We, we could stop the um, transmission of the virus that way. You know, now that there's a, uh, a vaccine out, there are easier ways to do it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but uh, that's going to require everybody having enough common sense to get the vaccine, but that's, that's a different topic. 
So PCR detects the um, viral RNA. This virus has an RNA genome. It doesn't have a DNA genome. PCR detects the viral RNA. It's more sensitive and more specific than an antigen test. So it's better, but it's also more expensive and slower. There is an at-home PCR test. At least one that I know of is made by a company called Visby, V-I-S-B-Y. And it's cool. It's this little card. It's maybe the size of an old floppy disk drive, okay? And you can collect a nasal swab and stick it in this thing, and you'll get a PCR result that's as good as anything you'll get from from a laboratory um, in terms of sensitivity and specificity. And it takes about, I think, 30 minutes or so to run. It's very expensive. (laughs) And so it's a little bit difficult to do on a routine basis. The Amazon test is a nice compromise because it's cheaper. You do have to wait a day or two to get the result, but it's it's much cheaper. It's really taking advantage of the uh, economy of scale because they do the testing in a central laboratory. So when I took the test, I boxed it all up. I stuck it in a tube. Amazon told me to drop it off at a UPS location. So uh, the nearest one was a, a UPS store. So I walked in and I was like, I don't have COVID, but here's my test. Can you mail it? Yeah, um, that, that does seem a little bit problematic, actually, if, you, if you're encouraging people to go out to a store and um, who think they have COVID. That does seem a little bit problematic. Uh, it seems like, uh, I, let's just say it's a work in progress, right? Um, I think the, the way Amazon is capable of bringing things along, you know, I, I could conceive uh, maybe... Um, the, if this catches on, that there could be the establishment of drop boxes that provide for a little more isolation. It does. <laughs> I, I don't encourage people who think they have COVID to go into a UPS store. So I guess you could have a friend or family member take it. Like, would that be safe? Yeah, that would be. That might be better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah or stick with a outside drop box. Yeah, there are outside drop boxes. So if you if you could do that. Could you use the uh, the U.S. Postal Service? No, it's uh, it's only UPS. And only UPS. Yeah. So it's interesting that it's not Amazon Logistics at this point. You would think, especially for something that was so homegrown in house, that they would be using their own AMZL, as they call it, which is effectively their replacement for last mile delivery and pickup. Um, or actually, maybe it's only de- last mile delivery. Maybe that's why not last that mile pickup. That might be the problem. They don't have they don't have anything set up for pickup. Yeah. So they should send a drone to your house to pick it up. <laughs> that, would, that would be perfect. The ultimate solution. I'm curious, actually, did you compare nasal self-administered versus provider-administered? Similar to the Amazon test where you only go partway up the nose. Did you compare right. a provider doing it versus a self-administered? We did not, but others have. You know, Typically, um, provider-collected samples are typically better. Um, they're more likely to be consistent. Okay, so when you when I say better, I mean that if you collect a thousand samples, you're going to get something closer to truth. If a provider collects a thousand samples versus a thousand self collected samples, okay, because with self collected samples, people sometimes get things wrong or they cut corners or something, you know. And so typically, you would get better results with provider collected. But again. Um, you know, we're going for coverage here. We want to actively find COVID-19 cases. Just like in Africa, I want to actively find TB cases. I don't want to wait for people to get sick and have them come to the clinic 
and get tested because usually by the time people are sick and uh, they've developed symptoms, they've already been walking around for a while spreading this thing around. And so our dream, and it's still just a dream, but but our dream is to be able to um, approach people more actively, you know, in a school or in a workplace um, or in an institution and test people more regularly so you can find people who are sick before they even know they're sick. And then that way you can get them isolated or get them on treatment. And so they're not spreading it around. And so in answer to your question, I think even though self-collected swabs are not going to be quite as good as provider-collected swabs, they're going to find more cases, and that's good. That's a, that's a good thing. That leads to my next question. Um, some tests like Costco, they have you interact with a medical professional via video to make sure you do it correctly. And the Amazon test is cheaper, and it might be one reason they don't have that. They also don't call you with your results if you're positive and talk about it. And some tests have that as an option as well. So I was wondering what you think of those added functions. Um, those are great functions. Um, so I, I haven't taken either of these tests myself. So it's great talking with you and, and hearing about your experience with it. Um, I'm a little surprised, though, there's not like a YouTube video that you can get on to um, see how the Amazon test is done. Oh, no, they show you how it works. But if you get a Costco test, you have to go online and someone watches you do it. Oh, is that right? Okay. Live. Yeah. You expect that actually in, in any FDA approved test um, that, you know, basically you really want to make sure it's done right. <laughs> yeah. I think a nasal swab is fairly easy to collect though. And, you know, I will say that, you know, I've gotten many uh, COVID-19 tests because it's, it's, uh, there's an active screening program here at University of Washington it's, and I use a nasal swab. Basically, there's a provider who's really just a trained student who's sitting behind a, a plexiglass shield who watches me do it. So you're saying with Amazon, there's nobody watching you. That is new. That is new. And it'll be interesting to see how that works. So in the test that you did for the study. It was self-swabbing, but uh, provider supervised. The provider was watching. So similar to what we do in Costco. Yep. So we do super. We, what we did, it was supervised self-swabbing. But in person, I would imagine. In person, right. It certainly seems feasible to do it by video link, though. Um, it's not complicated. <laughs> it's not complicated. So with Amazon, though, there's nobody watching you. There's just instructions to do it. And you do it, and then you send it in, and they just assume you did it right. You know, I think uh, there are ways to uh, build in what's called a sample adequacy control into a test. And basically, they'll test for something that um, it's probably proprietary, but they might test for something in that swab that shows that it was done right. Um, something that is in people's noses. I don't really want to think about what it might be, <laughs> but something that is in people's noses and it's got to be there. Okay. So if somebody does something wrong, they stick it in their mouth or they stick it in their ear or they just didn't even bother, never been inside a nose that would be flagged as a non-valid test and that that would be the result that comes back. I think there that's feasible. I'm not saying that's what Amazon does, but that's certainly feasible. Dr. Cangelosi, what would you leave us with in terms of where this is headed? In your ideal world, what would the testing landscape look like? Well, as much as I appreciate what Amazon is doing, and I, I, I thoroughly applaud it, I think it's wonderful. In the ideal world, everyone has enough common sense to get vaccinated 
And so this whole topic becomes irrelevant, including my research in this area. And then I go back and start uh, fighting TB in Africa. <laughs> um, there's still plenty of other things. And there's still uh, lots of other ways that what Amazon is doing could be applied. There's lots of other pathogens out there. But it, just to answer your question directly, Todd, there's a vaccine against COVID-19. And if everybody used it, we'd be talking about something else. Dr. Jerry Cangelosi, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was great talking with you. Thank you for listening to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. You can see reporter Charlotte Schubert's story about her experience trying Amazon's COVID-19 test at geekwire.com slash health tech. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. See more episodes at geekwire.com slash health tech and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 5, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at primera.com slash primera-voices. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast.